Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seria Chronicles is a Maya Chronicles production. <laughs> Welcome to the Chronicles Q&A. Well, yeah, just Chronicles q and I always feel like the title should be longer or something. So, you know, I'm always like, am I going to continue this? Anyway, I'm Mina Rizuki, as you can guess, because I'm the only one who just, you know, blabbers on incessantly for absolutely no reason. And of course, I am joined by the wonderful Nikki Bandini that I have bothered so much on this show because I'm always panicking for lack of time in my life. Hello to you, Nikki. How are you? I mean, would it help if we called it the Chronicles Questions and Answers podcast? No more of this abbreviation. Yes. Get a few more syllables into it. Oh, yes, that's what it is. Maybe <laughs> I just need something more meaty. I'm not one of those type of people who describe, when I describe something, I use three adjectives, it's never just one, you know? Like it's got to be this and this and this. Like, I'm always one of those, like, more is more, you know? Um, more is more. More is more. I can be prone to that as well. But I. <laughs> When you're in writing, I find that I've often been, uh, I've been sort of stripped back by editors over time. And um, tr- I, think, I think I've sort of hopefully found the right balance of, of well, I don't know, if people like my writing, then they can decide that, can't they? If not, then. To hell with them, Nikki. To hell with them. <laughs> but I am that type of person who'll be like, it's an 800 word can. I'll be like, okay, here's 2000. You do the rest. <laughs> you know, like, and I don't, I absolutely have no idea how to cut down. Like, I, I can never just six and, I don't even know how to say that word. Never mind. I know how to write it though. (laughs) Succinctly. That's the Do you know what's funny, Mina? Because like, uh, because I used to be on staff at the Guardian um, newspaper and I think it was really interesting um, when I used to work across sort of um, different shifts earlier in my career. So earlier in my career, I did writing shifts, but I also did sub-editing shifts. I did editing shifts um, as well. And you saw like... um, I think what was one of the most fascinating divides is like a completely different perception of whether writers were well liked between sometimes the editors and the sub-editors. And editors loved those writers who uh, like would send in copy that like 
had the good news flags in them and that were like hitting the points that they were supposed to hit, that they were sort of had been asked to, to, to cover. And some editors wanted to see something that fit in the box and was not 2,000 <laughs> words long. So there's sometimes different driving motivations between um, people uh, in terms of how they use things based on um, how much work it creates for them, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I had an, an editor at, um, when I was writing for an American broadcaster and a lot of the time I was comparing situations. Don't ask me how this happens, but I'm a very unusual writer sometimes. And I was comparing it to like something that happened in Dallas <laughs> and from like the original Dallas. And he was Texan. So he really loved it whenever I refer to like TV shows in America. So he'd be like, more, more of this, more of this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if everyone watches Dallas. So, you know, um, from back in the day, but, um, also what used to annoy me is sometimes I would start this with really like flowery imagination, like, you know, really well, perfectly executed, you know, phrases that give you like an understanding of, of, of the tension of a match or something, whatever it is, or, or if I was describing a person and I'd always have someone who'd be like, okay, we, it's too many words. So we're going to cut this intro. And I'm like, no, that's the hardest thing I've ever worked on, you know? Yeah. And you know, like I, 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 before the subversion editors come at me, I, I have grossly oversimplified that situation. And in the end, almost everyone working on a newspaper wants to get good copy in at the end of it. And I have also sat in that subversion chair, looking at the box I've been given and trying to get someone else's words into it and uh, feeling the pain of like, how do I cut anything out of this? Cause it's all good. And I don't want to. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky job. Like it's all balancing, especially in like actual physical copy, like um, magazines and newspapers, where there, there really is like a limit on how much you can carry. All difficult jobs and all the love in the world for the subjects out there who have um, had to deal with my copy before and who have indeed on a couple of occasions, at least uh, more than a couple of occasions, I'm sure, because I've been writing since 2006 saved me from writing things that are wrong because of their thorough sub-editing so I yeah Aww. I have only love for editors and sub-editors only love well actually that brings us sort of nicely on to our first question in this Q&A podcast and it's hi it's from Sanat Talmaki who's a Chronicles to Fozy Patreon member hello Sanat and it says hi Nikki Mina I have read John Foote's culture incidentally he was my um teacher at my university and winning at all costs. Oh, no. Way. Yeah, <laughs> he was my lecturer. Um, so I've read John Foote's Calcio and Winning at All Costs. What other books, blogs, or documentaries would you recommend um, that do a good job talking about Calcio and Seria? I mean, we already discussed, like, you know, the job of editors, but what about writers or producers? What would you recommend for them, Nikki? Yeah, I, I mean, I think John Foote's Calcio is probably still the first book I'd re recommend to anyone because it's just such a, a thorough like history of the game. Um, it's really uh, well put together book. Uh, John, do you know, funnily enough, I mean, I've never met John in person. He's one of those people who I've interacted no with a lot in the digital world, um, whether by sort of tweets or, or occasional emails, but I've never met him. Um, we should do a coffee a together. Um, well put together book. Yeah, oh, that'd be lovely. Did you used to like chat to him about football when he was trying to teach you stuff? No, because at that point I wanted to be part of the um, MI6. <laughs> I, oh, right, I changed okay. it, I changed the, what I wanted to do in my life a lot of times and I went to finance. So I never had any <laughs> desires to go into, it was just like a passion of mine. Um, but when I went into it, mm -hmm. um, he, he 
I obviously, you know, we got in touch and he said, you know, I, I'm surprised that you remember me because he was sort of head Italian and I was, um, I didn't actually study Italian. I studied Spanish and French and I lived in Spain. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we met up several times. We went through his like, um, book and just talked about our experiences, various experiences in Italy. And he is like a wealth of knowledge, but I've always felt like, I don't know when I sit in front of him, it's almost like, wow, can I touch you? <laughs> like, even though he was like, you know, he, he was our tutor, he was our lecturer, and, you know, and he was, you know, so big and, and, and important at UCL. And, and I don't know if he remains so at, at, at my university, my old university, but it's weird because there's a lot of people from the broadcasting or, or journalist world, like, um, like Raphael Honigstein, who also knows him because he was also at UCL. Um, so just, yeah, it's interesting, but we should do one more together because, you know, he knows you, talks about you a lot. So yeah. Oh, we could, maybe that's a potential guest for the podcast. Uh, well, well um, could be interesting. let's talk about that later. Um, but there are others, there are others, um, really uh sort of interesting books uh friend of the podcast gab marcotti wrote a great book together with Gianluca viali the italian job oh, he's done another book with, with viali more recently which is about um, viali himself and, and some life lessons one i'm personally really fond of is tim parks's season with verona tim parks is an englishman who uh, i actually don't know if he still lives there i assume he does but lived in certainly lived in the veneto um region of italy for over a an extended period. And he wrote a series of books, not just this one about football. He wrote books about the experience of living in Italy as an English person. And I think his insight in that is really fascinating. I know Italians who've really enjoyed reading his book as well, because when you see your culture through an outsider's eyes, you you see things about it you don't see otherwise. I think he's got a really great observational style. I think he he really takes in things about people and places that are very... um, astute. But he wrote this book, A Season with Verona, which was going on the road with Verona, like as a as a season digger holder, but also like going to all the away games with them, going up and down the country with the 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 ultras, with the hardcore fans, and uh and following their their ups and downs. And I think it's a really look, it's it's a it's a biased perspective by acknowledgement, right? Like it's acknowledging I'm telling you this story as a as a fan rather than as a sort of impartial observer. But I think it's a really insightful look at Italian fan culture and indeed, you know, Verona, who whose supporters haven't um always covered themselves in glory in, in some ways. So I think a really, a really um fun, interesting book um that I appreciated a lot. Definitely one that I would recommend. Um Joe McGuinness's Miracle of Castelli Sangro is also another sort of great embedded journalist book. Very different. Joe is an American and has a very different relationship with football culture, soccer culture to what uh, Tim does. And he is, instead of being embedded as a fan, following this extraordinary season with uh, Castelli Sangro. Uh, so he's following them through a season in Serie B which was uh, an extraordinary achievement for them as a club. His relationship is less with the supporters, more with the club. And I think by his own admission in the book, he gets close to his subject to a point where he starts to believe that he's part of the subject. Like he he starts getting to the point where he's trying to give advice to the manager on how to pick his team. And it's it gets into some very blurry 
messy areas. And I don't want to spoil it because some stuff happens at the end of the book that is, um, that there's a lot. And I don't want to, to talk about that without sort of someone who might want to read the book, finding it out that way first. But it's, um, it's a really interesting book. And I think probably the same for Tim's book as well, but I think certainly with, with Joe's book, I think it's important to keep in mind. It's always important to keep in mind. It's not just because it's Joe. It's not because it's Tim. It's, it's just when you're getting first person accounts of that, you have to sort of bear in mind how this is being narrated. It's being narrated by someone who is an outsider stepping into a, a particular situation and has a particular perspective. But I, um, I think they're both really interesting books for different reasons and both really enjoyable. Yeah, they, I, I think those are great shout outs. Um, another one I would add is actually, I think the first book I read, which is by Paddy Agnew, which was called Forza Italia. Um, it's also about an Englishman. No, sorry, about an Irishman. Isn't Paddy Irish? Oh, I was honestly like 13. Yeah, he's Irish. Yeah, when mm-hmm. I read this. Um, and his experiences of covering football and Serie A at a time of real boom in Italy and just, and you get like anecdotes about his family. You get anecdotes about just putting money in a bank and what that makes. I remember that because it really stayed with me. Sorry. One thing you'll know in finance is, is we used to just, we used to always, okay, this is my, my weird background, but coming from my finance, you think of Spain and Italy as always being, you know, countries that were never good economically when you compare them to the other giants like Germany or England or anything, you know, the United Kingdom. Um, but Italy was always cash rich because everyone would sort of hide their money in, in, in actual like beds under mattresses and physically hide it in the house. Um, and it's interesting because there's a great story there about like, you know, the banking system in Italy. And, and there's just all these wonderful anecdotes that I remember reading that book and I really, really enjoyed it. So definitely one that I think, uh, you, you have to read. I think it's important. Um, I'm actually going to mention a blog that I think is really interesting. If you like tactics, if you like specifically how certain players, um, move within a system or not move, or just the philosophies of Maurizio Sari or Marco Giampaolo, or I don't know if you want to read that, but you know what I mean is, is ultimawarmo.com. It is an Italian, mm-hmm. but I think it's, for me, it's one of the best things. I think it's just wonderful, absolutely, to read and understand football from a sort of a scientific point of view, if you like, um, you know, just from like stats and just tactics and the, 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 you know, the nitty gritty. Other things that I will mention is autobiographies. I've just gotten the Totti one um, and Nikki does a great interview with Francesco Totti about this, about him and about the book as well. And it's called, it's called Gladiator. It came out in Italian, but now it's available in English. You should also definitely read Andrea Pirlo's biography, um, autobiography, because you will be on the floor. I mean, I literally, there were just points in that where I was in hysterics. I mean, when he talks about pranks with Gennaro Gattuso, um, when he, for me, my favorite part is when he, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I do forget. But do you remember there was like a striker at Milan and I think he was Dutch, um, Huntela? <laughs> Pelo really hates him, <laughs> or at least it comes across that way. Um, and just his snobbiness in football in general, like when when somebody's tasked with sort of at the back in the days to just mark him and keep him out of the game, and he'd be like, "Is this what you came into football to do? Is this what you're happy to do to not play to just mark me?" Um, but I have to say, I think my favorite one includes um, Fatih Terim and his translator uh, when they came to 
to Milan and took charge. And I was in, you know, again, in hysterics for most part, an excellent book. If you just really want to have a good time, you don't even need to learn, but there are, there is some interesting viewpoints, Mario Balotelli and what he means to Italy. Um, what it was like to train under Antonio Conte, stuff like that. You know, Gigi Buffon, his best friends, that wonderful relationship that he's got with with various members of of the Italian national team that we all know and love. And you just get a little bit of an inside knowledge on that. He's he hits an extraordinarily bitten book. You, <laughs> when you said on the floor, I was half expecting you to say on the toilet because he talks about having his eureka moment about free kicks while he's on the loo. Oh my god, I forgot that. You were so right. <laughs> He's so funny. Is, He's he so is, funny. He the, the, the phrases he uses, talking about warm up exercises, as I think he called it masturbation <laughs> for conditioning coaches. <laughs> so he has a way of using words that will oh, um, it's, it's just... well, it tickled me as well as Mina. So yeah, yeah. Actually, Carlo Ancelotti has a. As a <laughs> it's an interesting because it's the same person who wrote Peelers. Um, that's really good. Mm. Focuses a lot on food. <laughs> Yes. Preferisco la coppa. It's literally like a play on words about preferring the cup, but also coppa is a cut of meat. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it's called in English, but that's the Italian title. So definitely read those. Um, in terms of documentary, you should, you should definitely watch like uh, All or Nothing on Amazon. Bad Sport, which goes into Calciopoli a bit. I'm on it. So I'm just going to plug that. Um, so, And it's just one episode of Bad Sport that's on the Ju- Juventus Calcio- on Calciopoli, but from a Juventus point of view. And there is an interview with Luciano Moggi that you should probably definitely watch um, because at the time we didn't know we'd get that. So that's on Netflix. And yeah, that's pretty much us from that question. I think we've covered most of the things that you should definitely watch and read, Sanat. Yeah, that was, that was, I'm sure there's more, Mm. there's always more. I mean, certainly there's always more biographies, but that's certainly a good selection to get you going. We have a second question here from Anonymous, a Chronicles Defosi Patreon member, though. Um, presumably not the hackers group. Anonymous, <laughs> you know, that's exactly that's what just, I thought uh, of when you said it. But yes. <laughs> I know, as too much headlines recently. Mina, uh, our Patreon member who sent this message anonymously says, It seems like magic's available in football and more detailed than in the past. And I wanted to get your take on how it has impacted the way you perceive the game. As analysts and journalists, how has it changed the way you report on the games that make your job harder or easier? Do you have a favourite go-to stat? And do you think that the average footballing fan is better informed as a result of having this information? I don't know what the right way is to answer this message. Uh, sorry, this question. So I'm going to answer it in from a very personal point of view. I was obviously a football fan and football for me was a hobby. I didn't want to work in football or be a journalist, that wasn't my aim. I actually looked at and and was interested in different industries and actually worked in different industries. But because this is my greatest passion and I thought that in order for you to succeed, you should work what makes you happy, that I football became something for me. And when I started writing about it, I obviously had watched football not as an objective person, but as somebody who always went into the game having a sort of a sneaky desire for a particular team to win or watching it as a fan. So I focused more on players I really liked or just, you know, generally just how somebody controlled the ball. Like I, Redondo is probably the first player I really admired from the bottom of my heart as just a player, not necessarily the one who made my heart like sing, but, but 
I watched him as that. So I, so the whole match could happen and there'd be some amazing comebacks or whatever it was. Um, he was, you know, there was that fantastic match between him and, and Manchester United when at Alex Ferguson was like, you couldn't take the ball away from him. But I was watching it only as a fan. So I didn't know anything that was involved or what needed to happen on a defensive level or what was the difference between being on the ball and off the ball and, you know, like just general tactical balance. So when I started obviously having to watch her from that, because I realized that this is what I wanted to do. And I wanted to go and, and be a journalist and, and, and get all the qualifications to be one and start watching football with an objective eye. I started to learn a lot and I heavily leaned on metrics to understand that. So that meant I looked a lot on possession, on, on who was dominating the ball, who were creating chances. Um, but what I felt was that I was a little bit disappointed because I didn't, for me, the midfield seemed to always run the show and there were never enough information on midfielders that showed you how much they ran the show. And that was only actually observed in metrics in 2014 in the World Cup because it was it was a World Cup that was won at least even and, and admitted to have been won largely due to the presence of Tony Crows and Sami Khedira because of what they did in that midfield. And yet none of the stats could really show you just what an impact they had on Germany. I mean, the headlines were all Cruz and, and, and Khedira, like, you know, this wonderful couple in midfield that absolutely dominated and rocked Brazil and rocked, you know, the World Cup and just dominated in, in, in every stat they're supposed to, but you didn't have any stats that proved that. And that's when I started realizing that I couldn't heavily lean on them because actually what I saw on the pitch and what I could pick up now as, as, as somebody who understood football on a different level and watched it from a much more objective point of view and, and just looking at movements of the entire team and that how, how that affected you know, the opponent, it is really about what happens in your midfield. And I just didn't, couldn't mm. find the stats to do that for me. Even like if you look at XGs, for example, Inter was supposed to score four goals against Genoa, you know, and they didn't. So the stats are so important, especially if you are somebody who's into betting or anything like that. But I never could, for me, lean on them afterwards when I started to hone in on my other skills in watching football. Yeah, there's a cartoon I remember seeing, and I can't remember if it was in my head, is it XKCD or is it someone else? It's a cartoon I remember seeing a while ago that, that tickled me where it was just like two, like two guys in a booth and like one of them was like, hey, I just got a collection of random numbers. Let's build a narrative around them. And it just was like all sports <laughs> reporting underneath it. And it made me laugh because, of course, you know, like that's how it sometimes feel like, you know, here's the numbers, like build something around it. And, you know, I, I think from that sort of just poking fun. For me, there are some some great analytics writers out there who are focused first and foremost on analytics, who have um really sort of taken the sort of the time and, and frankly, you know, the, yeah. the the career development and 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 sort of specific training to to read those stats and and understand them in a really detailed way and, and pull out the sort of um trends that I think require burying your head in those numbers for quite a long time to see clearly. Because I think that it's really easy to look at advanced stats and to and to highlight something and go, oh, that's interesting, but without seeing the full context. I think that's why you have to be someone who really spends a lot of time with those numbers to be able to, yeah. to always see the the important stuff and not just the fluff. There's lots of people doing that. The one in my head at the moment is Grace Robertson on Twitter. Um, she does a great job with it, but not so much focus on Italian football. But 
but there are there are lots of people out there doing that and they are analytics people who get it mm. really well mm. even for scouting like venezia they look a lot in the stats and that's how they choose on which players to buy and a lot of this has worked out for them. oh yeah Football club scouting departments is hugely, hugely skewed towards um, that sort of data now, and um, and I think rightly so. Obviously, you know, we live in the sort of post. Um, it's all Billy Bean and Moneyball, isn't it? Everything's sort of flown from there, and 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 football has, has followed. And and I think it's sort of easy to do both things with that. It's easy to go too far into that, and it's also easy to 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 get. A sort of dismissive attitude of like, oh, it doesn't matter. And it's like particularly easy to do the latter one. I mean, do you remember? I was actually just trying to find it now when you were talking. I can't find it. Do you remember there was like last season, Serie A put out this extraordinary tweet with some advanced stats on Lukaku that made no sense whatsoever. It was like all these sorts of names of like types of thing they've done on the pitch, which I couldn't read. Like I was like, I don't know what that means. And I think fans sometimes read that stuff and really roll their eyes and go, oh, come on, what is that? Like, it's not real. And, you know, honestly, in my reporting to answer the question, I, I tend to come from the side that I've always come from, which is that I probably am in order, like a uh, uh, storyteller <laughs> and then someone who's watched a lot of football and who covers a lot of football has been analysing football as a sport for, since 2006 professionally. And then after that, someone who's come to understand um, advanced metrics more as, as time's gone on. And I think that probably my way of approaching my work still starts from, I watch a game of football. I notice things while I'm watching that game of football. And I start with that as the basis for all of my analysis. And then once I've got some things I'm interested in, I might go say, hey, my eyes told me this. Let's go see what the numbers say and whether they support what I, what I felt watching that game and whether they don't support it. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes I, I, I maybe miss the, 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 the statistics that matter because it's not my full-time job to, to be ahead in the numbers. But I, I do try to, to look for the numbers that, that seem most relevant. I think I'm always um, finding, finding new ones. Um, I don't know if I've got one statistic that, that that jumps out at me because I think it's always different things that relate to different situations and, and different um teams and different players. I mean in the end the one that's most ubiquitous and that I think I've sort of accepted most sort of completely is just boring obvious one, which is expected goals. Like I do probably look at the expected goals after every game now just to see how that skews together with other stuff that I have in my head from that game. God is that really what I experienced. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious. I'm always curious. Interestingly, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like sometimes you build a narrative. And you, so, for example, when we were tasked with covering into Liverpool for various broadcasters or writing about it, I needed to explain that Inter do create so many options, but not necessarily take their chances very well. And so that would be a stat that I'd look at how many shots, how many of them are on target. Um and, and obviously then I'll use the stat if it sort of backs up my argument. And if I, and then I'll look at the stat and if it heavily doesn't back up what I think, then, you know, then I know I'm wrong and that's just my own feeling about it, but it's, it's wrong. But the, the thing is with football is what I find so interesting is I was trying to explain to somebody about Vlaovic and why he's so special, you know, and how can you explain sometimes with stats, you know, this is where you need both. You need somebody who, because 
I work with somebody who, who is heavy on stats and he's remarkable. He doesn't get anything wrong. Like every week he'll almost tell me the results perfectly because of what the numbers have told him to based on XG or all of these things. And I'm honestly amazed, amazed because this guy doesn't know Sadia. He's just going simply because he reads stats and he just tells me. And, and he's almost always right. And he says things that I'm just like, what are you talking about? You know, like, of course that's not going to happen. You know, like he called out Cagliari against Napoli and he told me that he thinks Cagliari will win against Tori. And I just don't know how he manages these things, you know? So obviously there is an art to it that I might not be understanding, but it, it, there's also, there's a part of me where it's like, how do I describe to someone that like Vlaovic's first touch is so magnificent that, you know, he can make a, a Morata bad assist into a, you know, a glorious assist to score another goal for Juventus. You know, it's, it's that, that I don't know how to really explain through stats, I guess. I mean, who the great players are. And sometimes, you know, someone will do a lot for the match. Like Rooney is somebody who used to do everything, but actually that might disturb the work of others. You know, like Matuidi could do that. And it, it becomes a one-man job where it's too many cooks in the same area. So it's like, you need to get out of my place because you know, this is the control, this is the block that I'm controlling. So yes, I don't know. But I think there's a desire and a need for both, I guess, for stats and for storytelling. Yeah. Like in the end, like the things I don't want to like ever be a dinosaur who's like trapped in some old fashioned way of doing things. That's not, um, um, acknowledging and respecting all the new information we have that we didn't used to have. I think it's really important, but, but I think that I also personally think that it's important that we don't get so lost in numbers that we lose what in the end, the reason people love football, which is passion, which is emotion, which is, um, human, human life that in the end sport is about humans and extraordinary humans who we are we find compelling to to share time with and watch and and that's why I think I'll my experience of football will never be the one that's just the numbers and that's not to say it's not hugely important because it is but that's never going to be how I experience football I don't think That even though it's only two questions, is all we've got time for. We did do quite meaty answers to both of them this week, so we're going to have to wrap it up there. We do have lots more questions coming in. Thank you all so much for sending in your questions. We will keep getting to as many as we can every week. In the meantime, we do hope you enjoy this episode. Please check out our website at celiacchronicles.com and click the Chronicles Tifosi button to join our Patreon community where you will get access to exclusive episodes and bonus content. Get your questions in on Twitter at CityAcronPod with the hashtag ChroniclesQ&A or send us a voice message via the website. We had one of those a couple of weeks ago and it was great. So do, if you want to have your voice in the show, get in touch that way as well. Find both of us on Twitter at Minirizuki at Nikki Bandini. Subscribe to the Celia Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show and follow us on Instagram. And finally, please do leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Google, or even on our Facebook page. But as always, five stars only. Uh, That's all from me and from Mina. We will see you next week. What do you guys use? I've always been on PCs. Oh, yeah. It's what I'm used to. Um, I've always been a PC person, but then about seven years ago, I became a 
Apple. A Mac person. A Guardian used to have like laptops that you could borrow, like from like star laptops, basically. I remember going sent to cover a Super Bowl with a Guardian laptop, which is a Mac, and it died the morning of the game. Mm-hmm. And like literally, like I was on the phone for about an hour to London trying to make this Mac work, and in the end, I had to like go and buy a new laptop from Best Buy, which I was in the middle of nowhere in Texas on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Quite religious in Texas too, so Sunday morning's not a great time to be going to try and find a laptop. That was an interesting time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.